0: What's going on, Connect Family? PD here, Pastor Derek. If you don't know who I am, I'm in God's house. You're in your house. Are you ready to have some church? Come on, somebody. Let's respond in the chat if you're online with me and just say, Come on, let's go. Bring the word. I'm ready. No takers or history makers. This is going to be a great service. Listen, if you're new, we've been in a series for a little while. Uh, We've been doing uh, a series on the end times and prophecy. And so this is the continuation of that series. We've talked about some hot topics. And I'm going to continue because I really want to pull you out of the fray. And get you looking at things, you know, into the future. And what's cool about scripture is that God is not kept secrets from us about the future. In fact, he reveals it to us through prophecy and through his prophets. And so we're using prophecy to see the signs of what is to come. Today, today's message is entitled Paradise Found. Not paradise lost, paradise found. Some of you guys know... Uh, your school days, the epic poem, I think it's John Milton's poem, uh, Paradise Lost. But I'm going to play on that a little bit, and we're going to talk about Paradise Found because God wants to return back to us what was uh, removed from us. In Ezekiel chapter 36, my opening text, I'm reading from verse 35. You can follow with me. It says, And when I bring you back, people will say, This former wasteland is now like the Garden of Eden. The abandoned and ruined cities now have strong walls and are filled with people. And then the surrounding nations that survive will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruins and replanted the wasteland. For I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. God is going to return things back to Eden, the times of Eden. He's uh, restoring to its original design. It's, it's uh, uh, bringing us back to paradise, uh, back to utopia. Now why is that important? Because everybody in the world today, underneath the hood, sometimes on the surface. Is striving for paradise, utopia, uh, you know, kind of a return to Eden. We live our lives with that preoccupation and that, um, uh, you know, that focus. We get up every day, you know, thinking about what are we going to do on the weekend and when our next vacation is and what's our next toy and what's our next activity of pleasure, and and, and simultaneously we're doing everything we can to remove the pain and the problems in our life. We pray for peace to Rain every single day. Uh, as we approach seasons like we're in now, as we near another election, we're looking for someone, something uh, to restore to us uh, this this sense of paradise, the sense of utopia. We're looking for this person that we can elect, that based on what they say and based on what they do, they can, they can return us in a sense to Eden. And so we want this so badly. It's this. Uh, it's it, it. You know, whole systems of government are surrounded by this preoccupation. We see from Karl Marx to Lenin to to communism, to socialism, to capitalism, whatever the view is, they're all promising something that we all want and that is some form, uh, some uh, way to get us back to a better uh, type of living, a utopia, your best life now. Even religion does that. But it's clear from the news and our daily lives and activity that we are far from utopia. We are far from Eden In the book of Genesis, it's, you know, with terrorism, you know, increasing in our lives, disrupting our peace and our security and our travel with criminals without conscience, in some cases, with uh, weapons of mass destruction at their disposal, uh, it, it, it removes that peace and it removes that possibility of utopia with the brutality of parents to children and children, children to parents and, and people to people on the, on, on the rise and escalating every day. The dream of a world where peace reigns seems far away. And, you know, every, every season around the Christmas holidays, No matter how many times you say um, peace on earth and goodwill toward men, by the end of that year, you're already, if you haven't before that, already losing your peace. You're already seeing the escalation of problems as we go into a new year. Many a woman has... Had a man ask for her hand and the man promises her, I'll take care of you, baby. I got you. You don't have to worry about a thing. Only later to discover uh, that that wasn't the case. Sometimes as early as the honeymoon, things begin to unravel. Some of you... Maybe in another area of life with regards to your finances, you've come to a momentary economic utopia. You've got money in the bank. You've got a nest egg. Savings are looking pretty good. You just got a raise. You, uh, you, you got a promotion uh, only to have this whole thing unravel because you got a new boss and he's from the pit of hell. Or you've got some coworker that's desk is right next to you, and they're the weirdest person you've ever met in your life. Utopia, boom, just blew up in your face. And something um, that caused this, I'll just say this to you, something uh, interrupted God's original plan for man. And it was called sin. Everybody say that. Write it in the chat. Sin. Dun, dun, dum. Sin interrupted God's original plan for utopia, for Eden, for paradise, for man. Whether it was your sin, the sin of somebody else that was passed down to you, the sin of a cursed environment that is affecting you, sin has disrupted the possibility of utopia and paradise. Paul says it like this in Romans 8.22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So the earth is groaning under the pressure of the curse of sin and it manifests in different forms from earthquakes to tornadoes to uh, tsunamis to volcanoes to floods to plagues and pestilences. It's all it, it, like the earth, in essence, is vomiting under the presence and pressure. Of sin. We are more and more, and I'm painting a picture so I can paint a contrast, but we are more and more in a satanically soaked environment. We even live under the prince of the power of the air. It's not just the environment, it's even in the air, everybody. So you and I live in a world that has been penetrated by epic evil actions, hearts, motivations ideas. Therefore, the repercussions of those realities have cursed our planet and affected the entire world and all of humanity. However, there is coming a time, I wish I could say, and now is, but there is coming a time shortly where paradise, where utopia, where Eden will be restored once again. And that time will not be in history, history, that time, excuse me, that time will be in history, not in eternity. And that time is referred to in scripture as the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, the millennium. Now, the millennia, millennial means a thousand. In Revelation chapter 20, uh, six different times just in that chapter, it says a thousand years, and then in a thousand years, and then in a thousand years. Six times it's mentioned. Millennial is referring to the uh, the reign and rule of Jesus Christ accompanied by the saints uh, with him on the planet earth in history, not in eternity. So I want to review quickly the prophetic sequence that we have Uncovered thus far. Uh, we will live in this age of man un, uh, the, under a, a grace period where the active wrath of God has been removed. At best, there is a passive wrath of God upon the planet. And during this period of time, believers. Uh, are experiencing all the hell they will ever experience, and and unbelievers are experiencing all the heaven they will ever experience. And one day, we know not exactly what day, but we know the signs that that day is upon us because we are in the uh, the age of sorrows, the, kind of the birth pains of uh, and leading up to what's known as the tribulation, but prior to the tribulation, we believe I teach I've I've kind of confessed and revealed that we will be raptured, we will be caught up, um, harpazo, we will be we will taken up like in the blink of an eye, and God won't come down, but He'll call us up to be with Him, and upon that day, secondly, there will it will initiate. Uh, a, inaugurate a seven-year tribulation here on earth where the active wrath of God will be released upon the planet earth. The Antichrist will be revealed. Uh, sh- after that seven-year period, it will be a setup for the return of Jesus Christ. And then after that, what we're talking about today, today the millennial kingdom here on earth. So today I want to talk about paradise found, not heaven this is in history, not in eternity, this thousand-year rule. Now, to understand this period of time, we have to understand why it must occur, okay? So track with me. Stay with me. This is really, really fascinating information. When God created the original human beings, Adam and Eve, he created them to manage and steward all of creation, to have dominion Uh, rule over the earth. This was a dominion covenant that he had with man spoken of in the book of Genesis. That rule was interrupted by Satan uh, and and as a byproduct sin and then as a result of that man disobeyed God leading to the, the continuous slow and then fast continuous deterioration of this world of the earth. And so the results have been, over time, and you can see it in history, and you can see it also within the scriptures, lifespans now have been reduced. They're in decline. Marital conflict is on an all-time high and rise. Uh, Very early on, you could see heinous acts, murder, Cain, killing Abel. The world became so wicked so quickly after the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3 that God had to hit a restart button. He had to reboot the system, and so he destroyed the earth with a flood because the curse of sin was destroying creation so rapidly and even after that even even though god promised he'd never destroy the earth again another solution would have to surface because the sin cycle Continued from that point forward, and God had no man to break the sin cycle where the rule and dominion could be um, attained once again. And so, what God did is He became a man. God became a man and came onto Earth, onto the scene. John one says that in the uh, that that the God became. The word became flesh, thank you, Jesus, and dwelt among us. That word dwelt means tabernacle, have home, uh, be be with us. And so God came here as the perfect, not only sacrifice, but the perfect person to be able to lead uh, us back to reconciliation and restoration and destroy this sin cycle and this sin pattern. In Luke chapter 1, verse 31 and 33, Look what happens here. It says, it says Mary gave birth to a son. So what God is trying to do is to, he's trying to restore man's dominion over the earth. That was his original intent. Mary gave birth to a son who would be in the seed of David, and, and he was to rule in the throne of God. So ultimately, Jesus and his followers would rule, okay? But first, the sin cycle had to be broken. So, but Jesus had to come out of Israel. He had to come out of what we call the Davidic line, King David. That's why all these genealogies in the Bible, when you read them, they may be boring to you, but they are proof. Or they are a record of the, uh, the the proof that Jesus actually is the perfect person to restore fellowship with God and man, and also to uh, establish rule that man had once lost. It had to come out of uh, Israel, and so he redeems his people for his name's sake, the church, the Christians. So to review, God's going to take us out of this chaos. I think, pretty soon, to avoid the soon-and-coming tribulation. I do not believe we are in the tribulation. The signs of the tribulation are way worse than what we're experiencing now. And what we're experiencing now is pretty crazy. But it is just the beginning of sorrows or the birth pains. But when tribulation starts, all of hell will be unleashed. Uh, God's act of wrath will be um, revealed uh, no more long leash. No, nope. it's going to be a short leash. And the reason his active wrath is released is because the death of Jesus Christ and his blood poured out for us was uh, for his bride. And so for those people who accepted what Jesus did, that they, they they made Jesus their sin bearer, that's why he came to shed his blood for his bride. But for those people who are not uh, are not his bride, who have not accepted what he did for them, um, now that that offering is no longer uh, available, and so we're gone. The bride is with him, and so now no longer uh, you know does, does he hold back his wrath? So now his wrath is upon the earth. And Christians during the this time in heaven will be rewarded for the way they live their life here on earth. Uh, as I like to say it, judgment seat of Christ is not about salvation, it's about our appreciation of our salvation. So remember, and I've said this several times throughout this series, what you do and what you do now between the time of your salvation, your death or the rapture of Jesus Christ will affect then, listen, here's a little ad, what you get to do... And experience and oversee during the millennium. Okay? So, Luke chapter 19, a, a chapter that we unpacked uh, a while back in the series, uh, the parable of the talents. Um, basically, uh, the, 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 The man of God goes away, but he leaves different talents uh, to his servants. Uh, One, five, one, two, one, one. He comes back and he looks for multiplication. He looks for faithfulness. And to the one that was not multiplicative, he said, you wicked and lazy servant. But to the ones who were multiplicative, he said a little line in there that sometimes we don't understand and we don't see its application. He said, I will put you in charge. Of what? I thought we're just going to sing songs in heaven and eat Twinkies without any weight gain. No, he is going to, because of your faithfulness now, during the millennial reign, he is going to put you as an overseer and in charge of many things. We'll talk about that as we go forward. All of this, uh, Jesus taking us up the judgment seat of Christ, the tribulation, it's all setting the stage for the return of Christ, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, he will come and he will reign with the saints for a thousand years. Now, I hope you got that quick overview. Let me give you two reasons, though, as incentives, why this will be paradise, okay? Why, when we're still here in history, not over in eternity, why will it be paradise found again? Well, the first reason is, number one, we're going to return to Eden, all right? The Bible calls it that in Ezekiel 36, but the reason it returns to Eden is because Jesus is here, and he is ruling, He is not here as a savior. He's here as the king. And he's ruling from Jerusalem. Uh, At one time, or at this time, uh, Jerusalem is the center of conflict in the world historically. But at that time, Jerusalem will be the capital of the world, the center of, of all things within the world. And he will be there. And the Bible says he will rule with a rod of iron. What that really refers to is he will not permit Allow or um, uh, accept rebellion, so there be there will there won't be any rebellion today. Uh, we have tons of rebellion. Then we will not. And you and I, based on our rewards, received from the life we live now. Will be used by Him to ensure the rule and dominion of the earth during that particular time. And no one will be able to override you because you will have received your glorified body because you were taken up and then you came back down. When you come back down, you come back down in a glorified body. Nobody's going to be able to overtake you. You're going to be like, Arnold, I'm telling you what to do and you have to do what I say. And you'll just be like a superhero. Nobody's going to be able to say anything to you. I cannot wait to see what my body looks like when I'm coming back from (laughs) there. I'm going to stop talking. I don't know if that's a good... A good uh, uh, impersonation. But nobody's gonna overcome you. You're gonna be bad to the bone, everybody, okay? And so, who will you be overseeing, though, during this period? In Matthew chapter 25, and I'm gonna paraphrase verse 31 to like 46. And this is after, you know, at the end, I should say, of the tribulation. Basically, it explains the scripture that everybody hates. It says, God is going to separate. The, the, the sheep from the goats, the righteous from the unrighteous. And the unrighteous will be sent to uh, judgment. And listen, the righteous Gentiles who came through the tribulation will go into the millennium in human form. Okay? So during this period, there will be a, a thousand-year reign. There will be a whole earth full of people. And, um, and you'll be there, and they'll be there in their natural bodies, their natural form, and you'll be there in your heavenly body overseeing them. And based again on the position you have earned during this period now will determine the level and proportions of your oversight and your direction in the millennial reign. This will all be before eternity, and this will all be before the final judgment known as the great white throne judgment. This message is packed with a lot of material, I understand. So Jesus will rule the earth through his saints from the capital of the world, Jerusalem. Why else will it be paradise? Number two, Satan will be bound for a thousand years. Come on, somebody. Satan's going to be locked up, everybody. Get out of jail. No get out of jail free card, okay? In Revelation 21 and 2, it says... Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. This got to be one bad to the bone angel. He sees the dragon, that old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, just to be crystal clear who it is, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. So he is no longer allowed to deceive the people. Satan's primary method... Uh, to call people out of the kingdom of God, out of the family of God, into darkness, is through deception, through lies. He is, you ever heard that, you ever have a a, a family member and you thought or you said, they's a born liar. He's a born liar, okay? Well, Satan is a whole nother level liar. The Bible refers to him as the father of liars, okay? And so he is, He's really good at it. He's been doing it for thousands of years, so you get pretty good at something when you do something for thousands of years. The Bible says he even deceives entire nations. Uh, He started this whole thing off deceiving. He deceived Eve, who ultimately uh, deceived Adam. And then this rebellion began, and he has done that to us. There's not one person listening to the sound of my voice who has not been at one point or another or even now in some way or form deceived by Satan. So, Satan's so good at it, we, you know, we, we get messed up with ourselves. When you look at your life, your people, your situations, the things that have tricked you, sometimes we tricked ourselves. In other words, the devil is so good, he... He made us trick us. I mean, that's how good he is. And yet the God, God said to Adam, he says it to us throughout scripture, you need to stick to my word. You need to not follow your feelings and what looks good and what uh, by appearance it, uh, has appeal to you. Stick to my word so that you don't fall prey to deception and delusions and distortions and temptations of the devil. Can I have an amen out there? But the devil is good at being bad. And because he is bound, life is better. When, when Satan is bound, life is better. Because he's bound, and on top of that, Jesus is ruling with the rod of iron. Even if you wanted to rebel, you couldn't because he rules so strictly. But So the outside behavior is paradise. Now listen, I'll have to come back to this in coming weeks. But the heart issue could still be there. So there may not be outward rebellion during this millennial reign, but there still could be inward rebellion. It just can't manifest because we as judges and overseers and co-heirs with Jesus, and because Jesus is no longer coming in as a softy, but he's coming in as king and ruling with the rod of iron, there's just no way for that rebellion to manifest. But it still could And in many cases will manifest in the end. We'll talk about that later. So at this time, earth will look like heaven. And for a thousand years, if you are a believer today, listen, most of your time uh, will be spent on earth, not in heaven. Yes, you'll go to heaven. In a sense, you'll live in heaven, but you'll work on earth. You'll work on earth. Your home could be there. I don't know that for certain, but I know you'll be reigning and ruling and working here on a regular basis. Now I want to transition, okay? Because I want to describe how the Bible unpacks this whole thing. The Bible actually points to an event for us as believers. So here, that's what's happening. There, I want to unpack what happens, and then it moves to here, okay? There'll be this event, the judgment seat of Christ, all right? And then it initiates what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, another way, higher-level way to say it is a wedding, a wedding. Now, in biblical times, uh, there was a process. There was a way they did weddings. But first, let me read from Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 and following. If you're enjoying this right now, can I get some hearts and say, I'm learning a ton right now. Petey, you're blowing my mind. Okay, thank you. Thank you. I believe you're doing that right now by faith in Jesus' name. Now, Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. One translation says, The marriage supper of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. That's talking about God. Excuse me, that's the church. So she has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited, listen, to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Now, everybody loves a wedding, okay? Even I love a wedding. I I've done... I've done over 100 weddings in my career. This wedding involves you. It involves me, the the people who called upon the name of the Lord, because you are referred to in Scripture as the bride of Christ. Christ is our groom. And so the Bible uses terminology, this wedding-type terminology, to express the relationship and how significant it is and how he looks at it. So the first Aspect of the wedding in biblical times, number one, write this down is the betrothal. The betrothal period. Uh, We would call it an engagement. Uh, Today, engagements are a relational arrangement, but back then they were a covenant or contractual arrangement. You were uh, betrothed to someone, the wedding would be later. But when you were betrothed, you were legally bound to that person. You you couldn't be with someone else. The, The relationship is exclusive. And there were certain terms of agreement within that covenant or within that contract. When you were betrothed, you were legally bound. This is why Joseph, when he discovered Mary was pregnant, he was like, what? Because I didn't have anything to do with that. So the Bible says he wanted to put her away quietly. That meant he wanted to have like a silent divorce because he didn't want to shame her. But he knew he wasn't a part of that because we were in the betrothal period. But sometimes um, this betrothal in history, you may even know somebody. You may be somebody listening. There are still parts of the world where this happens where you were you were assigned you were betrothed to someone even before you were born see a lot of times during this time a father would go to another father and say, my son, I'd like to betroth him to, or my daughter, I'd like to betroth to your son, and vice versa. They would make arrangements even before the children came to be. They could still be in the womb. And, 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 and there's also times where the father would decide who the daughter was going to marry, and, the, and she, she or he wouldn't even see each other till the wedding, till the actual wedding. Uh, it sounds crazy, But the truth is, some of you might have been better off if you let your daddy speak into your relationship. (laughs) Um, Isaac married Rebecca and he didn't didn't get, he he married her the first day he saw her, he married her. That's what you call love at first sight, right? Okay, so this system was the system of that time. I actually think it could still work if the standards are established within two people as Christ followers, then I think it can still work because I think the secret sauce to marriage is commitment. Is the foundation, not bio- physiology and biology and not emotions and, and feelings come on, don't get me going. I mean, you know, just as a sidebar, I can't help myself, this, th- this whole thing about long engagements, man, it gets me going sometimes as a pastor hearing about these things. You know, they, they just, they don't work and they lead to a lot of sin and confusion. I think if you just establish a set standard for your relationship that you both agree upon, you're gonna be able to move forward more quickly. If Christ is the center of your life, for example, if you're committed, if divorce is not, you know, in your vocabulary, if you're, if you're committed to put him first, if you're committed to a covenant relationship and not a co- man. But if you're shacking up, come on, somebody. You probably haven't heard this in a long time through church and since I'm online and I can just leave and you can't be mad at me. <laughs> you know, you, if you're shacking up, let me just say something. You got to stop that. That's not God's standard. That's actually sin according to Scripture. And, ladies, you're just being used. If, if he won't marry you, if he won't cross that line of commitment to you, you're just a boy toy. And ladies, you sometimes deserve it because you're at, you're sad because your heart's getting broken. Time and time again, your heart's being broken. Well, your heart won't be broken if you close your legs. Woo! I can't believe you just said that online. Yeah. So anyway, back to the sermon. Oh my gosh. Okay, so the first step. <laughs> Is everybody still there? Everybody just signed off. Okay. Or they signed on. I don't know. You can't believe what it just said. Get on. Okay. The second phase in this process is the marriage. Okay. So there's the patrol. There's the marriage. This is where you make your commitment. You, you make your declaration of vows. Uh, you know, do you, do, you, do you take this woman to be a lawful wedded wife? You say, I do. He says, I do. Moving on. That's the serious part. But the next part, the part that I want to emphasize, is the reception. Now, we all know this part. This part's the party, the music, uh, the dancing, the eating. In fact, I've been to so many weddings in my life that I had to stop going to the receptions because I couldn't eat any more cake and ice cream. I was blowing up, okay? So anyway, stop it. So anyway, rich or poor, we all know that at the reception, it is a celebration of the couple. And so Jesus' reception for us, who um, called upon his name and lived for him while we were here is the 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ. That's our reception, okay? We're, we were being made ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. It will be this party with Jesus, his bride, and it will happen here on earth. <clears throat> and you will be there. You will be there, and you will receive based on your level of commitment to him while you were here. Not everyone will be Not everyone will party equally. (laughs) So the scripture says, actually, some of you, uh, though you were invited to the wedding, you won't be at the reception. You'll be in outer darkness. You'll actually be able to see what's happening, but not... It's It's like, I'm not a hockey player, but it's like a hockey player. A hockey player can do something wrong on the ice and then be put in the penalty box. They're still on the team. They just can't play anymore. They're in the box, but they can see what's happening, and it will be, it will be an awful way to experience um, the wedding. Because, you know, when you stand before God and he rolls your tape at the judgment seat of Christ, remember, he's going to allow people to play, and he's going to allow people to lead because of how they led and how fervent they were in the here and now. All right. Now I want to give you a description of what... This kingdom will look like because it's going to be very different. Some of you will think it's heaven, but it's paradise found, okay? And there's a lot in the Bible on this through prophecy. I'm going to focus on three descriptions through the prophet Isaiah very quickly okay? Of paradise. What will it be like here on earth during the millennial reign? Isaiah 2, verse 2 says this. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the hills. People from all of the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. Then he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teachings will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. Here's three descriptions from the book of Isaiah. Jerusalem will be the center of the world's leadership, okay? Jerusalem will be the center of the world's leadership. God's going to send forth <clears throat> his law, his ways from Jerusalem. So every nation on the earth will have to, will function and follow God's law. In essence, there'll be, a, there'll be one constitution the entire world uh, to submit to and to follow to. And we will be there again as in our glorified bodies uh, for the implementation, actualization, and activation of God's rule, God's ways, God's law from Jerusalem. Isaiah 11 says this, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. He will give justice to the poor And make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word. And one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. In that day, this is so cool. The wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. And the little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of the cobra. Yes, remember this, a little child will be put, will put its hand near the nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with the people who know the Lord." let me unpack this. You, you think this is heaven. No, this is, this is the millennial reign on earth. You don't see anything like this today. If a lion and a lamb are lying together, it's because the lamb is in the lion's belly, everybody, right? You don't see kids playing near cobra holes because they'd be bit. You know that. So what is so spectacular about this time, uh, this, this, this environment, is the rule of God and the knowledge of God will be so comprehensive, it'll be like no other time that you've ever seen, such that even the animals, the lions, the bears, the snakes, will have to, they will not be allowed to, I should say, display their sinful nature. Wow. And why? Why is that? Number two, write this down. This is the second description. Because the knowledge of God will rule all creation the knowledge of god will rule all creation it said nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain notice this also it says moving forward the text refers to uh, a child that was born that's because we're still in the millennial reign not us because we're in our glorified bodies but those who who prevailed through the tribulation are there in their natural form their life will continue they'll be given to marriage having children and so they'll be they'll be ch- There'll be children there, and, and that will all be taking place during this period of time. We're not in heaven yet. We're in a, we're, we're, um, we're there'll be human beings that still live and continue in their natural form. Isaiah 65 says this, look, I'm creating a new heavens and a new earth. No one will even think about the old ones anymore. This is what paradise is like. Be glad, rejoice forever in my creation. And look, I will create Jerusalem as a place of happiness. Her people will be a source of joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and delight in my people and the sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they have lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. Only the cursed will die that young. So, so just pause. Uh, if you died at 100, you'd be considered, uh, you, you died young. In fact if you 'd be considered a youth at hundred and if you died at hundred during this time, there must have been something you did wrong, you were a curse something was something was messed up. what contrasted today the average uh, lifespan of a man is seventy nine and a woman is eighty two that gives me like twenty nine years or something like that twenty seven years that 's crazy i don 't believe that i 'm going to live longer come on somebody all right so people are still dying during this time, but they 're living longer during this time you could you should and you could live up to 1,000 years. If you remember during just after the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3, there were people that lived 700 plus years, 500, 700. Methuselah lived 969 years old. That was after sin entered the world, but it began to deteriorate over time. So number three, people will live long again during the times of Eden. Why? Because there is no sin, no overt sin. External sin. Sin is what kills us at the root. Sin. Is what kills us at the root. So lifespans are reduced because of the increase of sin. Sickness and de- disease are a result of, 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 of sin as well. Verse 21 says, in those days people will live in the houses they build and eat the fruit of their own vineyards. Unlike the past, invaders will not take their houses and confiscate. Nobody's going to take your house. For my people will live long as trees and my chosen ones will have time to enjoy their hard-won gains. They will not work in vain and their children will not be doomed to misfortune for they are people blessed by the Lord and their children too will be blessed. I will answer them before they even call to me. While they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer those things right away. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat hay like a cow, but the snakes, they're going to eat dust. In those days, no one will be hurt or destroyed on my holy mountain. I, the Lord, have spoken. It will be paradise found. Come on, somebody. So history is completed within history as Jesus and the saints of Jesus Christ come to rule and reign for a thousand years. That will be paradise lost. Now, I want to give you a preview of the weeks to come quickly, and then we're going to pray. What happens next? In Revelation chapter 20, verse 7, very interesting. It says, when the thousand years are completed Satan will be released and will come out to deceive the nations. What? That should have some dum-dum-dum music here. History is not finished yet. After a thousand years, Satan's going to come out and he's going to wreak havoc again. His chains will be released. Why? We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But here's some good news as we conclude today's message. The disciples asked Jesus while he was here on the planet, would you please teach us how to pray? And Jesus said, okay, let me show you how to pray. You pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, when he told them that, he was telling them to pray that so that the earth, heaven would come to earth now, not later, But now, God wants you to have a little bit of paradise now, a little bit of heaven on earth now before he brings his total kingdom to this earth. He wants you to have a taste of heaven now. We can't have all of it now because of chaos, because of sin, because of the curse, and because of the ultimate mission and plan that God has for us. But he wants us to have a taste of heaven Now, I don't know if you've ever had a taste test before. Have you ever tried something and and you really liked it? Some of you have had a taste test and you just kept tasting. Like you had a whole meal just from taste testing. But the purpose of the taste test, why do people give you something? They they hope you like it and then they hope that you want, right, you want more. Fill in the chat there. You want more, okay? And so God wants you to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven because he knows if you get a taste of heaven, you will want more. Today you received by the word under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit another taste of heaven. I'm praying that you continue to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as you continue to taste and see, as the Bible says, the Lord is good, you will want more and you'll live your life better now because of that in Jesus name. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? With every head bowed, every eye closed. You're doing that wherever you are in your home and in your car you're listening on demand somewhere maybe on a break at the office listen just look at your heart as you close your eyes are you a part of the kingdom right now See, you can't pray thy kingdom come thy will be done if you're not in the kingdom you can't have a taste of heaven here on earth if you're not part of the kingdom and so you have to answer a question who's your king who's your king See, Jesus wants not just to be the Savior who paid for your sin. He wants to be the ruler of your life now so he doesn't have to be the ruler of your life during the millennial reign. If you know that he is speaking to you by the power of the Holy Spirit, I want you to respond right now. You raise your hand on that little chat. You say, that's me. If the service is over and it's on demand, you just say, that's me. I today receive. Come on, say it with me. I receive Jesus Christ By grace through faith, I make him my savior because I know he paid for my sins. I can't pay for them myself. But I also submit to him as my king, as my ruler. And I decide to follow him all the days of my life so that when I'm at the judgment seat of Christ one day, I can receive my reward and I can lead for a thousand years in paradise with him. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, come on, everybody, amen and amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for being at Connect today. Lives were changed. We heard the word of God. We surrendered to him as our Lord, as our Savior, and more importantly, as our King. I'll see you guys real soon.